0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Endon. In this edition, I'm going to be looking at a few things that have been happening uh, recently on and off table, a few controversies, but also uh, a few torment victories. To talk about. The first of them came in the first ranking event of the season, Yan Bingtao of China, won uh, from what was a field uh, at the start of the last day we thought who's going to win this because it was wide open. It's a field that didn't include many top players Of course, that hadn't all entered and some uh, hadn't made it because there had been various playing problems, Neil Robertson couldn't get there etc. But Yan Tao was there and of course uh, he'd come close a couple of years ago to becoming the youngest ever ranking event winner at the age of 17. He lost that Northern Ireland Open final Little and luckily to Mark Williams in a decider. And I think after that, he did feel a bit of extra pressure, expectation that other people were putting on him and maybe some that he was putting on himself. He seemed to, I saw a few matches, commentated on a few matches he played in, he seemed to tighten up at times. And the question mark was, okay, is he going to go backwards? Is he going to become a top player? What's going to happen to him? Well, what happened was he won a tournament and you can't really do any better than that. He beat Mark Joyce in the final. And uh, two important things about it. The first is that, he became the first teenager for 13 years to win a ranking event. Ding and we had been the last one in uh, 2006 at the Northern Ireland Trophy. Um, we've been used for years to teenagers winning tournaments. Um, so 13 years seems a long time to wait for another one. Because the thing is, the age balance has shifted in snooker. And now guys in their 40s, who, who were previously winning them as teenagers, are now winning tournaments in their 40s. The O'Sullivans, the Higginses, the Williamses etc So it's good to have a young winner I think uh, you know any sport needs to, to have new players coming through And Clive Everson always says the biggest gap in terms of winning tournaments Is from the, from being on zero to winning you first So now he's won one, maybe that will be the start of something The other significant thing about it is um, He's only the third Chinese player to win a ranking event Of course Ding has won plenty Liang Wenbo three years ago won the English Open So Yan Bingtao joins that list. It's not a very long list, even though, obviously, Chinese snooker has taken great strides forward in recent years. Still only three ranking event winners. Now, of course, that list can increase as uh, the years go on. But I think what it shows you is that to be a professional, you have to be a really, really good player. But to be a tournament winner, you have to be exceptional, particularly to be a multi-tournament winner like Ding. So even though there are a lot of very good Chinese players, it's whether any more of them can make that leap to become... A tournament winner. Times on their side because a lot of them are really young. A lot of them are in their twenties, and even the great players that are still at the top of the game, you know, they are going to decline. But I think it just shows you that it's you know it's hard to win a tournament. It really is, and uh, there's been many players who have shown great promise and not quite made the breakthrough. But uh, thankfully for Tao, he did, and uh, he's what a great springboard for him for the rest of the season. After Riga, of course, it was off to Ching for the first really big tournament of the campaign, the International Championship. It was our first chance to see Judd Trump since he became world champion, and it was Judd Trump who came away with the title. Great attitude, I think, from Trump. Obviously, he sat out the World Cup, he sat out Riga, but clearly had been practising, and just arrived, you could see the confidence in him. I think that, I mean, I'm a great fan of Trump, I make no apologies for that. I think one criticism that you could have levelled at him in times gone by is sometimes overconfidence but the point is winning the world title it was the last part of the jigsaw so it wasn't a question of being overconfident he was just confident and we saw that in his performances and even in, in times in matches when things might have gone wrong he just uh, he, we, we showed us that he was still riding that wave of confidence a lot of centuries I think 12 centuries and just a, a great performance in the final he really took a grip on the final against Sean Murphy in that first session, and really never let go and uh, what a way to start you know when you're a first time world champion the it's like you have a target painted on your back, everyone is watching your results more closely than ever you're always going to be playing on TV you know you're always going to be in the spotlight, and it's about how you handle that and traditionally it's got to be said a lot of first time world champions don't handle it so well, um they struggle particularly if they make a bad start to a season, but I think two things are different now: one there's so many tournaments that you know it, you, there's, there's going to be chances to win tournaments. There could to be chances to do well, but I uh, also I think Trump genuinely believes, and I think this was reflected in some of the interviews he did. I think he genuinely believes that he is the best player in the game, and that's important because snooker is so much about self belief, and that's something he has in common with. The greats that have gone before him. You know, Steve Davis definitely believed he was the best. Stephen Hendry believed he was the best. I think Ronnie O'Sullivan as well has at times believed he's the best. Whereas some world champions, I don't think they've believed that. I don't think Stuart Bingham thought he was the best player in the whole game. I don't think Graham Dot thought that. I don't think Sean Murphy thought that when they won the world championship. I think Trump does think that. And it's not arrogance, it's actually having the self-belief to to back up what you're actually doing. So it would be very interesting now to see how many tournaments he can win. I think he's looking to potentially set records. Uh, the record for um, number of tournaments in a season, ranking tournaments, is five. It's been done by Hendry, it's been done by Ding, Selby and O'Sullivan. He may well be looking to improve on that. And there's a lot of chances to do that because there's a lot of tournaments coming up. But already he's talking about the UK Championship because he's talking about... Of course, he's world number one, so that's one thing he's got back as well. But he's talking about holding the three what we call the Triple Crown, although I have a problem with that, that term. But anyway, that's what it's called. Holding those three tournaments uh, simultaneously, having won the Masters and the World, obviously the, the UK would be would complete the set in the same calendar year. Now, it's a very rare feat to hold them all simultaneously. Only four players have done it, actually. Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry and Mark Williams won them all in the same season, which is an incredible achievement in itself. And John Higgins, when he won the World title for the first time in 1998, he went on to win the UK and the Masters the following season. So he he did hold the three at the same time. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan hasn't done it. Oh, that's quite surprising because, of course, he's won more of these events than anyone. He's won 19 of the Triple Crowns, but uh, he hasn't done it. Mark Selby would be the other obvious candidate. He hasn't done it either. It just shows how hard it is to actually peak at the right time in these events. Um, so that would be something that Trump's already looking at. That would be something that would really rubber stamp the fact that he's now the dominant force. I think in this question of so many torments sorry, in this era of so many torments, the question a lot of people ask is what how do you define domination? Well, if he was masters champion, world champion, UK champion and world number one, that is domination. It doesn't mean you have to win every tournament. It means you win the really big tournaments and the international is is a big one in its own right. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens in Shanghai in a couple of weeks' time because of course Ronnie O'Sullivan, who was world number one, he's going to be playing in that. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens if they come up against each other. Of course, Trump has had a couple of wins in finals against O'Sullivan last season. Ronnie won that amazing match in Clandino in a decider on the Black 10-9 as well in the semi-final. That's It's hard to think of it as a rivalry because they're from different eras, but in a way you've got the undisputed... Well, it's not undisputed because people dispute everything, but who I would say is the greatest player of all time, Ronnie O'Sullivan, still playing great snooker, and Judd Trump, who's become potentially becoming the dominant force in the game. It'd be very interesting to see how they approach playing each other and, you know, is the life in the old dog yet or is Trump going to carry on uh, dominating? We'll see if if that happens, but I think uh, from Trump's point of view, he's won a tournament already as world champion, so that's a little bit of pressure off him and I really think he's looking now to, as I say, try and really underline the fact that he's become the dominant player. I think you know it's a long season, a lot of tournaments. There will be peaks and troughs. There will be early exits, and I'm sure people will be very quick to say, "Oh well, you know he's maybe not the player we thought he was." But clearly, we've seen his performances, we've seen his achievements already. He's just turned thirty, just underlines again. He does have time on his side, and uh, yeah, I I think right now you don't really want to be playing him. The UK Championship, of course, is a long way away yet uh, in December, so there's plenty of snooker to come before then. Well, I was at the Crucible um, in August, which was a bit odd, but thankfully there was a snooker table because, of course, it was the World Seniors Championship. And Jimmy White um, was the winner there, and I don't need to tell anyone listening to this why that's a special thing, all the heartbreak he's had at the Crucible. One thing about Jimmy, though, he's one of these people, he looks at tomorrow rather than yesterday, and Jimmy has got a great attitude on life. I don't think he sits up at night on YouTube looking at his world final defeats. He just moves on whatever the next chapter of his life is. And the one thing that's been current throughout his life is he loves a snooker, loves playing. You'd have to love it, I think, when you consider some of the setbacks he's had. So I think a lot of people clearly were very, very happy that Jimmy won it. You saw John Virgo um, embrace him at the end. And you know we all understand why it's significant that Jimmy wins at the Crucible. What's happened is he's been invited into the uh, Champion of Champions, which has caused um, a little bit of controversy. Oliver Lyon's... Uh, was defending his father, Peter, who, of course, won the World Seniors and wasn't invited into it. And I think Ollie took a bit of stick, but I, I understand what he's saying because, of course, what's happened is Jimmy's won it and now suddenly the Seniors has been added to the list of qualifying events for the Champion of Champions. Had Darren Morgan, who beat in the final, won it, you have to wonder, would it have been? Ryan Evans, who won the Women's World Championship, also is in with a chance of playing in it. I think what a lot of people would would argue is that if you have a criteria for a tournament in terms of how you get into it then that criteria should be set in stone at the start of the season it shouldn't be tinkered with depending on the players that win tournaments throughout the year because it's sort of open to abuse now what, what I would say is this is a matchroom tournament not a World Snooker tournament and as the promoters they can frankly invite whoever they like but I think for transparency it, it would help if there was just a set criteria that's what it was and everyone knows how you get in the event remember a couple of years ago ding hadn't qualified and all of a sudden the runner up in the world championship was given a place and who was the runner up in the world championship ding jun of course that meant there was sales to chinese television etc cetera, etc cetera. i think you have to balance it you know in terms of the the um the realism the uh, the the facts of the commercial world um and that's what this is it's a business but it just looks a bit bad if suddenly a player you'd like wins a tournament and you add him to the list One thing I would say, though, is a lot of people were complaining last year and in years gone by that the champion of champions weren't all champions. They were just topped up from the ranking list. I think it is preferable to have champions, but I also think it's preferable to have a set criteria that is set for the year and not kind of changed. It'd be interesting, though, because at the moment, Mark Williams and Mark Selby have not qualified for the event. And Mark Williams, I think, is a bit unlucky on that score because last year he actually had won four tournaments that would have got him in the Champion of Champions, but you don't, you don't like keep three of them back for for future turns. He he won, Northern Ireland Open, he won the German Masters, the World Championship, and the World Open. Any one of those would have got him in the Champion of Champions, but of course, only can only get in once. It doesn't carry over to the next year. So at the moment, he's not in. Although if it is topped up on the ranking list, he uh, I'm sure he will get in. Mark Selby made a maximum there last year. Um, at the moment, he's not in. Got to win a tournament. There are some coming up that he could win. But time's beginning to run out. Um, I think Jimmy and Rianne, by the way, are, are great additions to the tournament. We've Got no problem with them being in. And as I say, I think it's preferable to have champions. But as I say, had Darren Morgan won the World Seniors, would he have been invited? I'm not so sure. The other thing that happened at the Crucible was, um, and Rianne of course, featured in this, there was a, a women's event and also a disabilities event, which uh, I was asked to commentate on. And it was... Um, Very interesting experience, obviously there were short matches because it was really a showcase, it was going out live on free sports television and it was an opportunity for viewers to see not just the professionals but other people playing snooker as well and the women uh, of course have a circuit, the disability players have a circuit but it was a chance for the public to just be introduced to them and I guess the idea of Behind it was to try and increase participation levels on both of those circuits um, because we don't see a lot of women's snooker on television and as far as I'm aware that's the first time we've ever seen certainly a live disabilities event and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, it was a bit of a corrective to some of the moaning that you hear about the main tour, you know players pulling down six figures from snooker moaning about various things. The people there, the, both the women and the disabled players, were so proud, so proud to be playing at the Crucible. You could see beforehand, before they went out to play, just the excitement, their families were there. This was a huge deal for them. And I think they all conducted themselves really well. And OK, you know, it'd be preferable to have a final longer than one frame, but they had a, a given slot. They couldn't run into the afternoon, um, into the seniors' event. But it was all very well organised, and uh, I thought a really lovely event. And just one anecdote, because obviously... Um, if you weren't there, you wouldn't have seen this. Shabir Ahmed, he won the Disabled event. And, you know, it was a big deal to play at the Crucible, certainly to win a tournament there. He was very excited. He came back in backstage to the players' room. The first person to go over to him to shake his hand was Jimmy White. Don't know each other, but Jimmy had seen the, the match on the TV, and he just came over and said, you know, well done, that was great. And I think that says a lot about why Jimmy is held in such high esteem, because he didn't have to do that. He did it because it was just a, a sincere gesture one snooker player to another regardless of what they're playing in or what level they're playing at he recognised what an important moment this was for Shabir and, and that's Jimmy You know that's why people love him he's still, after all these years, down to earth and uh, one other thing I'd like to say about the Seniors and that whole event is congratulations to Jason Francis who's organised it all he's been on this podcast before because he'd run the Snooker Legends now he's running the Seniors um, side of the game in conjunction with the WPBSA A lot of people, I've met a lot of people in snooker down the years who have said they're going to do this, that and the other and invariably they don't, it doesn't happen. He said he would do this and he's done it and it's a work of genius, I think, to get it at the Crucible as well. It makes sense, even though it's August, it seems a strange time for snooker. The fact is, you know, that's the place where, as he's kind of said on the poster, you know, reputations have been made and and maybe it's time to make some more and it was a good mix of, you know, players that we recognise from years gone by also players that are qualified, and a few players who have come into the seniors, like, for example, uh, James Wattenau, it's good to see him there. Just a nice event, I think, I think it went down really well. Obviously the standard wasn't as high as it would have been in these guys' heydays, because they're not in their heydays, but the fact is, you know, it's a chance for them to continue in snooker, and it's a chance for fans who remember them playing to, to see them again, and it couldn't really have gone any better in terms of Jimmy White winning it. All of which brings us to the Paul Hunter Classic, which has just been concluded, won by Barry Hawkins. Now, there's been a lot of chat about this on social media. Paul Hunter Classic, it, it started initially, the, there was a tournament at German Pro-Am years ago, this was about 15 years ago it started. And uh, Paul Hunter and Matthew Stevens in particular were players who, who played in it right from the start. And when Paul passed away, it was decided that the, the tournament would be renamed in his honour, which was a lovely gesture. It then became part of the... European tour so it was a kind of minor ranking event and then when that was scrapped it was a full ranking event until last year it had lower prize money and not all the top players by any means played in it and then this year it reverted to an invitation event played over two days from what I understand it's very well attended the crowds over there have always been great for the event and uh, I'm sure a good time has had by all but I think a lot of snooker fans looked at it some confusion because it wasn't on TV, it wasn't streamed, you couldn't watch it unless you were there and I think a lot of people felt that it was a shame that it had been sort of downgraded. I think you've got to recognise, again, the economic realities, you know there's not huge sponsorship in Germany they've got a big tournament the German Masters, that's where the kind of focus is. For me there's there's a couple of things though that and and I recognise as well, I saw Paul Collier and Marcel Eckhart, two great referees who were over there they were tweeting yesterday how disappointed they were about some of the comments that had been made but there are a couple of things about this that are a bit mysterious. Firstly, how was this field assembled? There's no, there was no great explanation about how the players were chosen. Who, you know, how they, those players ended up in it. And I know that I know there are some players who have been asking. You know, why wasn't I invited? I presume it was taken off the rankings, but I'm not entirely sure. Still, don't know what the prize money was. That hasn't been announced. I don't know whether that's some sort of secret. I don't know what Barry Hawkins won. No one has said. Um, I think openness is a good thing, and I'll be fair to, to Barry Hearn, he's the most open chairman World Snooker have ever had, although that's <laughs> looking at some of the past ones, that's not saying much. But I think the, you know an, an event that's been sanctioned by World Snooker, we maybe should have these details, they should be made more um, public, and that would then maybe assuage some of the criticisms. You know, you'll always get criticised on social media for everything, that's just part of the game, but... I think you. I can understand why some snooker fans are looking at, at this event and sort of saying, what is it exactly? However, as I say, from what I hear from people who were there, it was a great tournament. They had a speed snooker thing that Gary Wilson won and Barry Hawkins has won a trophy. I'm just not quite sure. Um, well, I've not heard yet that it'll get him in the champion of champions, although he'd be a great addition to it. But um, I think th- people are just a bit confused now about what tournament means. And of course, the other thing that people have said is that It may be the fact that Torment has now reverted to Invitation. Paul Hunter's name um, is not as uh, prominent as it once was. Um, The Torment still carries his name, but it's not now a ranking event. I think this, though, feeds into another topic that I'd like to talk about, which is actually how we treat our great players. How we remember the history of the game. Uh, people who have been going to the Crucible a long time will remember the Heritage Room, which was run by Roger Lee. Roger's a great guy, he's a historian of the game, and I've never been to his house, but I imagine, because I know he's got loads of videos, I imagine it's just wall-to-wall old sort of Fidelity Internationals and and Duluth's British Open tapes, which to a lot of snooker fans would seem like bliss. He's got all, all that stuff, and he's a great custodian of the history of the game, and that's important because I think to understand anything uh, in life, and sport is no different. You have to understand where it's come from. And a couple of anecdotes which uh, I think underline the way that snooker hasn't always looked after the heritage of the game. And by the way, this is not nostalgia. I'm not interested in nostalgia. Nostalgia is just remembering things uh, wrongly, basically. Remembering things as being better than they were. Nostalgia is how you get Brexit. It's people harking back to a, a time that never actually existed. So I'm not interested in nostalgia. I am interested, though, in protecting the heritage of the sport, which is important. We don't have a snooker museum, for example. You know, a lot of sports have a museum where you can go and learn about the history of the game. We don't have that, and that's obviously that would cost a lot of money, but it would be something that would certainly, I think, help people, again, understand the heritage of the sport. But a couple of anecdotes, which maybe will explain what I'm talking about. Um, 2001, it was the centenary of Joe Davis's birth. He was born in 1901, so 2001 the centenary and i was a young journalist then but still you know out on the circuit and i suggested to the then wpsa chairman that they and this was just a sort of social thing i just suggested that they rename the world championship trophy the joe davis trophy as a sort of um as a, as just a gesture really to to acknowledge the centenary but also to acknowledge him and then every year the winner of the World Championship, gets the Joe Davis trophy. After all, he won it the first 15 times. But not just that, he went out and bought it. He actually bought the trophy that they still play for today. They weren't interested in that. Nothing happened with it. Just It was literally just dismissed as an idea. But I thought it would, would be a way of just honouring him every year. Um, of course, it's happened with Paul Hunter now at the Masters, but it, it, it's only in recent years it's happened. Um, when Paul passed away, a lot of us on the circuit, journalists and, and officials and people just kind of came up with the idea uh, at the same time, why not, because he'd won the Masters three times and it was the tournament he was most associated with, why not rename the trophy after him? The then WPBSA chairman, different one to the first one, but equally sort of intransigent, um, again, just dismissed it as an idea. And it's only in recent years that that's happened. And I think it's a a nice gesture that that's happened. One of the arguments they used against um, renaming the trophy after Paul initially was that John Spencer had died that same year. And they said, well, what about John Spencer? To which the answer is, well, n- we'll name a trophy after him as well. Well, what's the, what's the problem? You know, of course, it, it was different circumstances. John was in his 70s. Paul obviously was only 28. But again, yeah, absolutely, honour John Spencer. Actually, what happened was, in terms of Spencer, and this is another of the anecdotes which underline what I'm saying, he passed away. There was no minute silence, any torment He died in the... My memory was he died in the July. The next tournament was in August. The one, one actually, in Belfast, Northern Ireland trophy. No minute silence, which I found very odd because just a couple of years earlier at the Grand Prix in Preston, they'd had a minute silence for Ken Bigley, who was an engineer who'd been kidnapped and killed in Iraq. Now, that's obviously a tragedy for his family, but he had no relationship at all to Snooker. But they did a minute silence for him... And not for John Spencer. From my memory was there wasn't one for Alex Higgins when he died. Alex Higgins, by the way, one of the you know most recognisable, one of the greatest names in the history of the game. Nothing, um, and it kind of feeds in to what I'm saying. You know, how do we remember? How do we honour the past? What has happened, of course, in the home nations is that the trophies, individual trophies, are named after great players from that nation. So we've got the Steve Davis Trophy, the Alex Higgins Trophy the Stephen Hendry Trophy and the Ray Ridden Trophy. And I think that's a great way of just reminding everybody about these great players. But I think more can be done. I mentioned the museum. OK, you know, that would cost a lot of money to set up, but it wouldn't necessarily, in this day and age, have to be a physical building. You could do it on the internet. You could do it on the World Snooker website there. Imminently, I believe, I think next month, they're going to be rebranding the whole tour, new logos, etc. I imagine, a new website. So it's an opportunity maybe to have a, a section on past winners past players there's a on the WPBSA site there's a, a long article about the history of the sport I know that because I co-wrote it with Hector Nunns. Um and it's good to have something like that just to point people towards and this is the history of the game but as I say I think we can do more to protect the heritage so that we don't forget the Paul Hunters of this world obviously us talking now I'm not going to forget him but I'm talking 50 years from now 100 years from now People need to know about these names and what they contributed and what they meant to the sport and what they meant to the people who watch the sport. Because as I I talked about Jimmy White earlier, you know Jimmy kept a lot of people with snooker, um, brought a lot of people to snooker in the same way that Ronnie has done, same way Alex Higgins did initially and maybe Judd Trump will now and maybe some of the Chinese players will in the future. Um, But I think we have to honour them not just when they're playing but afterwards as well. And in fairness, that's one of the good things about the seniors is that 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 is something that is happening now. They haven't just been forgotten. They're getting a sort of uh, new lease of life. But as I say, I think we need to think more about how we can recognise and continue to recognise these players. And the Paul Hunter Classic is an example of you know, good intentions, Let's name a tournament after him. It rose to the heights maybe people didn't think it would rise to when he, his name was initially given to it, i.e. it became a ranking event. It's now not a ranking event. But I hope it continues, and it continues in his name. And as I say, I'd also like to see some of these other people honoured a bit more as well. Because the history of the game is fascinating. You know, snooker is still a relatively young sport. And uh, I only found out literally last week, because Clive's written an article in the new snooker scene that's out soon, about the sort of beginnings of snooker. And I only found this out, it wasn't until the 1920s, that a foul was worth four. It, prior to that, it had always been worth one. Now, I've been working in snooker over 20 years, watching it you know, over 30 years. Literally, that's the first I'd heard of that. And these little nuggets are important because it explains the way the game has developed. So as I say, history and heritage are important. And uh, I think maybe having been at the Seniors, I was more alive to that than I had been before. Anyway, that's a lot to, uh, to digest. The good news is the season's underway. We've got some big events coming up in September, all, all in Asia. The uh, Six Reds will championship The Shanghai Masters, which is a huge event now, and the China International. And then after that, we start the sort of British run of events. We've got the English Open in October, Champion of Champions, of course, in November, and that UK Championship, where Judd Trump will be looking to complete the uh, the Triple Crown set for the year. Uh, Promises to be fascinating, but uh, that is it for now. I've just about got enough breath left to say thanks for listening and goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.